Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Angelina from Dunstable, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, what's invisible but you wish people could see? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dame Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. We are talking everything from... Well, uh, we are talking everything from Angelina from Dunstable's question, what is invisible that you wish people could see? Dane, any thoughts on that? Um... Yeah, um, hatred or farts. <laughs> okay. Because then I think if people if people could see those, people would be a lot more. There'd be a lot more accountability in our society. Right. If you could see palpable bias towards other groups that people tend to deny. Yeah. As well as farts, because normally, like regressive opinions and farts work the same way that they're never really welcome. Mm. Just that sometimes people that know who you are tend to tolerate them a lot more. Mm. They have no place uh, being projected at dinner parties or in enclosed spaces. Right. Interesting. I was just going to say pollution because it, it might make us stop polluting, but yours is also culturally and socially quite useful. Yeah. And also they're both forms of both uh, pollution. Yep. Like that methane builds up, you know, Howard. No, of course, mate. I'm not arguing. Cow farts have gen- contributed to greenhouse gases significantly due to intensive farming practices of livestock and cattle. So yeah. the more farts we can see directly contributing to the uh, greenhouse effect yeah. and the more hatred contributing to more uh, social division, okay. I think. Okay, well, it's a fair point. But listen, Angelina, I hope, hope you got some kind of answer you wanted there. And suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely, no question is too big, too small, or too flatulent. And if you do like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, to hear our questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a legendary Irish comedian, a household name. He has appeared on many TV programs in the UK, including Mock the Week, Top Gear, Have I Got News For You, The Graham Norton Show, Lively Apollo, and most recently, QI and the pilgrimage in his illustrious career as a stand-up he has performed 13 solo shows has been nominated for the edinburgh comedy award and is on the road this year with his biggest show today if i'm honest and if we are honest we are very delighted and proud to welcome onto the show the one and only mr ed burn Wow, even I'm disappointed by that build-up. <laughs> I'm going, oh man, I can't wait to meet this guy. He sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's who you it's are. It's hard to see you when you're in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's who you are. Welcome it's to the show. Are. It's hard to see you when you're in it. When your head's down in the trenches and you're yeah. out there. You don't get to see. You don't get to see all the medals and plaudits you've gotten. No, this is true. I was in Hull last night playing to three hundred people. So you know, in a twelve hundred seater venue. So I needed the ego boost. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Uh, that's the thing about comedy, though, is that as much as you can achieve, it always keeps you very grounded. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm sure those 300 people very much enjoyed that show. That's enough. It was enough for the... To... Exactly. It, it was enough for the Battle of Thermopylae. So why not Ed <laughs> Burns tour? Uh, oh, that is... Ed, is there anything that's invisible that you wish you could see or you think it'd be, be good to see? I mean... When you were saying it there, I I, I was a, a similar vein. I thought poisonous gas that would be pretty useful. But but when Dane started to branch into abstract concepts like hatred, <laughs> if we're going to go that way, then I think uh, you should be able to see uh, categorically on somebody's face like we should, should be like a light going from say green to red, the, the, depending on whether or not they are joking when they say a statement. So that so if, they genu- if, it, if, if a guy is genuinely just joking when he says, uh, do you want to come back to mine for a shag? And then she says no. He goes, are they joking? <laughs> it would actually, it would actually, it would actually, if he was really joking, it would have, it, the green light would have been on his head when he said it. That's, I think that's, that's uh, cool. Yeah, that's a good but, but what, one. And, and, they should, and they should also, and they should also kind of on the other side of that be a sarcasm kind of gauge as well. Because if someone responds, oh, I would love to come back and give you a blowjob, <laughs> and then the sarcasm meter goes off again, and everyone's like, well, false positives all round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think it's, too, it's just too easy to say after the fact whether you meant a statement or not, yeah. depending on the response you get to it. <laughs> Very good. Very good observation. Uh, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show dictates, mate? Absolutely. Here's up. Uh, Ed Byrne is our very esteemed guest. We'd like to invite you to ask the first question, which we'd like to discuss with you for about 15 minutes or so. And then my co-host here, Howard, would like to pose a question to you, which we'll discuss in 15 minutes. And then with me wanting to carry on tradition and carrying the torch of this debate and conversation, I'd like to ask you a question as well to discuss for 15 minutes. And following that, we'd like to ask you where uh, our listeners can find out more about your good works, past, present and future and to ensure the further sellout of your tour so people don't continue to miss out because there's going to be at least 900 people in Hull really pissed off when they sit on the opportunity and we don't want that crisis happening again. How yeah. does that sound? That sounds good. That's good. I mean, it's not the people of Hull's fault. Touring in a pandemic is not easy. Robert Plant is there tonight. He's only playing to 500. And that makes me feel so much better. There you go. <laughs> Everyone's taking hits all round. Um, So as our esteemed guest, Ed, the floor is yours to ask the first question. Okay, so my question is about a question. My question is, is the question, where do you draw the line, the most important question? And and, and, Ed, what has inspired that question in your your mind? I find people have been asking it quite a lot lately. And here's what it is. I have changed my mind about the question. I have come round to the idea that it's a good question. I always used to think of it as a question that people just asked to be contrary. I always felt like it was one of those questions where every time you do something, particularly if you try to do something nice or good, say people will always, if when people are against something, whatever it is, they always say, yeah, but where do you draw the line? Mm. So as soon as you say something like, hey, let's, uh, oh, I don't know. Let's, let's, Let's rehome, rehouse, you know, refugees, or let's, you know, let's yeah. let's let's raise the minimum wage. Say, let's just say something like that. But yeah, where do you draw the line? Where do you, <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? What do you say? Do you go, are you going to make the minimum wage fifteen pounds an hour? Are you going to make it twenty? So people always just say it, and you kind of go, well, we've clearly drawn the line here, where we've just yeah. suggested yeah. this particular law or this particular thing. So I always, I always thought of it as a real sort of reactionary, contrarian thing to say. But now, 
now I, I feel it's, it's, it's a more important thing that everything, all politics and all questions of taste and, and, and even questions of, 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 of offence are about where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and, and I find a lot of the time that's where the nuance of the debate is. When people have a tendency to, particularly again between right versus left, when, when capitalists who hate socialism and socialists who hate capitalism, when they give out about it, they're not really talking about the pure version of either. It's yeah. always just an argument about moving the sliders and deciding where. You know, like People who say they hate socialism, if you then push them on it, so are you saying we should get rid of all centralised things? There should be no taxes, so therefore there should be no police because everyone should hire their own security forces or yeah. there should be no no roads, no infrastructure. They kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Then people who hate oh, capitalism. Should, have been, should have been no banker bailout. Yeah. Yes, you know. yeah, and then when people people say they hate capitalism, you say really, so you won't, you don't want shops. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't. Nobody actually really means a pure version of either of those things. It's all about where do you draw the line. That's my. Yeah, and it, and what? But it's almost like it's a great question. It's almost like what um, what defines the line as well in some respects, right? Because because. Uh, it, it, you know, a, a line being drawn is often the, the thing that, that for some people makes them go, well, I'm totally against that now because you've drawn a line, because you've restricted the conversation, right, Dane? I mean, yeah, definitely. I guess, um, yeah, identification of the line definitely helps with having that ongoing discussion. But I think the problem might be, um, and it's a, it's a great question, a question to ask is how, uh, yeah, it's all about the line and how long that's supposed to remain and what factors determine where the line is placed in the first place. And I think yeah. it's a great question. That it's a question that is a larger question about the, uh, I guess, the devices that uh, preface our society. So there, I guess the line would have largely been influenced historically by Judeo-Christian uh, custom and belief. So that would have been the, the line that we decided for the basis for common law, for example. So, you know, the things that are supposed to be bad to do to other people in the Bible are supposed to be things to do bad, even within a secular society to an extent. Um, but yeah, I guess normally a lot of the time when people say why they ask about Jordan Line, I guess it normally stems from fear of the unknown or fear of change. Mm-hmm. Yes. So but that's what I'm saying. That's why it's always, it tends to be a very reactionary question. Yeah. Where as soon as you say something like, as soon as you change a law, that's maybe been around for some time. Well, go, for example, well, we, we say like, you know, gender is fluid, for example, and yeah. gender isn't binary. Then people go, where do you draw the line? Because then do we have trans women who maybe men dressed up who go into the bathrooms to maybe accost or aggress um, cisgender women? And then people ask, where do you draw the line? So this is where, for example, J.K. Rowling has uh, received a large amount of backlash because of her misgivings about uh, gender politics and the possibility of women being intimidated or being predisposed to sexual assaults as a result of uh, gender-neutral toilets, which is a very truncated part of her discussion. Well, I remember Jeremy Irons, for some reason, being asked the question about gay marriage. Uh, you know, before gay marriage or equal marriage came in and him come out with a, with a where do you draw the line of well could that mean that I could marry my son to avoid having to you know pay inheritance tax and I'm like what the f- what is wrong with you you can't you can't currently marry your daughter 
to avoid inheritance tax. Why would yeah. you think suddenly? So like a lot of the where do you draw the lines? As I say, it's 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 a reaction to change. Jeremy Irons yeah. came across to me like someone who didn't like the idea of gay marriage. And so it just came out with a really weird red herring of a, of a where do you draw the line? And, but, and yeah, it's always anarchy for, it seems to be for a weird reason that anytime you're going to change a law that people are very used to or a social norm is being addressed, then people feel like, I guess it's because people tend to look at it in these very binary ways of where we draw the line that if you move the line or you try to suggest a new line, then yes. um, the only alternative is anarchy. And I guess that also yeah. the, the problem is, is that it's, um, that we always perceive the line to be one of morality mm. and we never necessarily analyze what the morality is within that line. So for example, in Jeremy Irons case, he's basically saying that if we let anybody marry anybody, there is no restriction as to who those two parties might be, which doesn't really make any sense because obviously it'd be very easy to identify the difference between a romantic or intimate sexual connection to another being and the same kind of familial love or, um, a uh, connection you have to a sibling or a, a relative or you know a spouse so it's it's very it's very weird that he's moved the line yeah but the comparisons aren't the same at all but because the, the answer to that question of where do you draw the line is well we're drawing it here yes. we're drawing it that any human <laughs> being who's not related to the person already can marry any other human being that's where we're drawing. We, we used to be just men and women we're now redrawing the line as Anybody can do it who's not already related. You know, that's, that's, that's the only yeah, way. That's, that's like, line, yeah. what, does that mean I can marry my dog? No, because that's <laughs> not where we drew the line. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so that's, it's fascinating. That, that's what I find is, yeah. It's fascinating. And I think there's two elements there. One is, is, is what is a culture, society, civilization's moral compass based upon? And therefore, where are those lines being drawn? But secondly, I would, I would, I would dispute that a lot of the time that people say where to draw the line you should really ask, why are you so interested in where we draw the... You're a bit scared of where we draw the line, right? And that's actually why you've asked the question, where do we draw yeah. the line? Because because you're worried, basically. Your moral compass is about yeah. to be, you know, way off course. <laughs> and yeah, not, maybe not moral compass, maybe your position of privilege. You know, of course, because, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the time when people are talking about empowering a particular group or changing some kind of regulation that allows the freedoms of movement or civil liberties for another group is the issue really that someone is enjoying some comparative privilege when they ask where they draw the line because people don't tend to make a lot of observations about the line until they feel someone else or, or another idea is arriving at the same line where they may be placed. So it's all. I guess the question is, really do you have to look at where someone sits on said line? Because how often do we discuss the line in the first place? Maybe it's so on the subject of same-sex marriage, for example, it only seems to be part of the line when people are asking for those equal rights. But do we visit the line to look at it normally? But the line was in a weird place to begin with anyway. There were some places yeah. where you could, where one person could marry more than one person at the same time. Yeah. And then we or decided... Somebody, or somebody now, you could, or you could marry a young woman. Like, exactly. You could marry... the age of consent. Precisely. Yeah, and we do, and again, when they when they change the age of consent, you know, when that gets gets moved, that's that's it, people different people do draw the line in different places. In some states in America, it's eighteen; in others, it's sixteen. Some countries, it's it's different. We we all we, we it's we could all just find different places to draw these lines, and I don't see why people get so panicked about it. Even when they were talking about bringing in like free sanitary products for for women in in toilets, yeah. people are like. 
well, then what, well, what next? And you like, you, you realize we already give away free toilet paper in toilets. Like that's just a thing. We've, we've just, and again, it's been around for so long. No one's expected to bring their own toilet paper. Mm. At some point, at some point they might have been, but, uh, you know, there may, there may well have been. And, and, exactly. and at some point somebody was like, well, where do you draw the line? Do I bring yeah. my own chair to work or do, do I bring my own computer? Bring my own toilet? Yes. Yes. It's people who say, people who throw a party and say, bring your own drink. That's, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the problem. That's when I start saying, "Do I will I will I bring an MP3 player? Have you got one of them?" <laughs> yeah, the whole PA system or, or Ed. The most appropriate example is bringing your own audience to a gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's the question. Where do we draw the line then? When I got to bring a friend or pay to play on stage? But no, that's true. The, yeah. the, the thing that comes to my mind here as well. What it's such a great question because you you, you almost think to yourself, well. Well, th- th- there were there was a civilization and a society where 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 the lines were drawn for us by a very small amount of people, uh, and and that still is applies today. But we do have greater freedom to to be discursive about the lines and where mm-hmm. they're drawn, and and actually. That's that's probably why this has come up more than ever because on uh, social media you can literally tell everyone where you draw every line and maybe yeah. some people will actually care, uh, yeah. which is questionable uh, in that sense. But I suppose it's like I, I think a good example of is <laughs> I felt like this the other day. I'm not going to name the person, but the, the uh, I went into someone's house uh, and the I was quite excited to see them because I hadn't seen them for a long time and. Um, <laughs> They said instantly, as as soon as I came in the house, yeah, it's just shoes off house. Can you get your shoes off? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like quite excited to see this person. So so it was just a quite a little off moment where I was like, well, okay, you're not as excited. You're more excited that I don't yeah. spread dirt on your, on your house <laughs> than seeing me. But where to draw the line, guys? Like, um, you know, how clean do I need it? I mean, also bringing a two-year-old child into your house where did you draw the line, guys? Because he's literally <laughs> going to spread his milk over every bit of furniture you have. Uh, yeah. So it's it was. It is, what is it? What is it reasonable to expect a person to do when they arrive at your house? We used to expect people to wipe their feet when they came. Correct. In. We used to that. Now we expect people to take their shoes off. And as you say, yes. Where do we draw well, the line? I had a test. I did a COVID test. <laughs> yes. Clean my hands. Do you know what I mean? Are we going to insist that people sit on plastic bags <laughs> on the couch just in yeah, case well, they go? Some people never take the plastic off their couches because they don't want to have to make people yeah. aware of the line. Mm. Um, We're talking about social media causing the question of where do you draw the line to be asked more often. It is, it's, uh, in, in the questions of offence, obviously, where do you draw the line is one that get, gets asked quite a lot lately. Some, particularly in, in comedy, for instance, I, I always feel that, because a lot of people have this idea that, that comedians should be allowed to say anything, that this should be, mm. it should be a safe space on stage and that if a comedian says something that, they, that we have special license and no one should be allowed to complain about anything a comedian says. I don't, I don't agree with that as an idea because I like the idea that there is a line, that there are lines and that there hasn't been a fast and a hard decision on where those lines are because that makes some comedians more exciting than others. Yeah, A lot of comedians will say there should be no line and we should be able to say whatever you like. But if that's the case, then there's no such thing as dangerous or edgy comedy. Like if you, you, once you say that, then there's no difference between Frankie Boyle and Peter Kay. There's no difference between Doug Stanhope and Michael McIntyre. You have to have lines and edge so that comedians can go up to them, but I, I yeah, I, but then comedians I think then have to accept that that those edges and lines exist in order to make them interesting. Mm. Agreed, and I think and I think the I guess the 
figuratively, the I, the job of a comedian is to take that line and use it like a tightrope and maybe jump between various lines because I think these lines are all subjective. So part of us navigating the art form is to find various lines, not necessarily, not just about offence or decency and morality, mm. but all of, I think all of the concepts that of these, li- or all of these lines that I guess make up the, uh, I guess the pages of human history to continue the uh, analogy. And the job, I guess, of a comedian is to kind of reinspect those lines Maybe it's it's that maybe we we uh, interrogate them uh, morally, or sometimes you know you maybe just scrutinise them or dismantle those lines or see how much you can fray those lines. It's not uh, because I guess they're all subjective, and I agree with you, Ed. Like it's not comedians shouldn't be able to say anything they want, and because like I said, there's there's really no it's there's, it's not really a deft way to kind of express yourself by just saying whatever you want because. Well, a large part of human communication is nonverbal anyway. So how much can you necessarily say? I mean, I don't think it's the job of every comedian to explore those lines. There's got there's got to be some comedians that people can just go to and just laugh without having to worry about whether lines of offence. But I do think that comedians are a lot are on that cutting edge of of where those lines are are drawn. But I just think you can't call yourself brave, edgy, dangerous, any of these kinds of, you know, descriptors and then turn around and say it was just a joke i should be able to say whatever i want because it's, as soon as you've got that get out of jail free card you're no longer being brave or edgy yeah it's, you've given yourself i guess a somewhat of a parachute all the time yeah. rather than kind of arriving at the line or you're kind of yeah have a, you have a line but you've got like a bungee cord to keep you safe yeah and <laughs> I, I mean i think it's down to the fact that yeah what determines the lines or how or how many people are that line is visible to will determine mm. how far that line is. Yeah. So I guess it's always having to define what the line is first before you arrive yet before you arrive at it. Yes. Because that line's obviously different for different people. So in answer to the question, the answer is yes. Yes, where do you draw the line is the most important <laughs> yeah. question. <laughs> I'm going to take that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've, we've solved that one, Ed. Well done, mate. Uh, <laughs> what a joy. What a brilliant question, hey, Dane, to kick off Great the show. Um, uh, a delight. Thank you, Ed. Um, uh, Cheers. My question uh, is going to... Uh, well, you, you you have a, a lovely show uh, that that you're working on. Uh, that if uh, if I'm honest, which the the world can come and see, and it, and kind of looking at the title, it made me think a bit about my own honesty, um, which I'm sure you do. Um, and so my question is this, guys: Do you wish you could be more honest, or are you happy with your honesty levels in life? Um, I think it's a challenging one. What do you think, Ed? How how honest are you? Yeah, well, <laughs> people do say it's the best policy, but I don't think that's always the case. <laughs> we've got four, chi- we have four chickens in our garden and we've lost two. Now, my youngest son is nine. Do oh. I just tell him, totally, a fox has eaten two of our chickens? Do I get two new chickens that look the same as the two chickens? I say, oh, look, they came back. Or did I say, do I tell them that they went to live on a farm? Now, what is the best policy here? I mean, historically, how has, what's your son's coping strategies normally like when he's dealing with any kind of grief or loss? He will, he, he has always been very attached to even inanimate objects. 
Like he okay. he'll pick up a stick and take it home and then lose it and then cry himself to right. sleep because so that, the stick is missing. And, and, so, yeah. and is he is he a, a vegetarian? No, God, no, no, no. Right, so that, no. That, but he, yeah. but I mean, they're these two chickens that laid laid eggs. They weren't. We weren't rearing them. No, for I know, but I often, eat, I, mean, I often meat, think yeah. about this when I show my two year old son, who like, I'll be like, "Oh, look, chickens in a farm," and then he'll come home and eat chicken, and at no point has he gone. This this chicken thing here is it similar to the thing out there. Like, and that, oh no, that's an. Awkward. He gets it. Yeah, yeah. He he, un- he understands that because yeah. his family are farming. Right, my, right, my wife's right. family are farming. So, so he you may understand the mortality is, of chickens. Yeah. Is what I'm getting at. Um, yeah, my rec- my wife reckons now is the time to, to. This is why you have animals, so you can teach your children about death. You know. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, and that's a good way. That's a good way to look at it. Is that you know as. As long as it's not your son performing ritualistic killings of chickens, <laughs> yeah, you're probably you're probably off to a good start. So I'd say in my that elder, instance, that's my elder son is more into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. yeah, that's that's a different. You, you can you can cross that bridge when you get to it. In fact, now that I think of it, it might not have been a fox. It could well have been my 11 year old is actually performing satanic. Right. Now, if that's the case, that he's performing <laughs> any kind of satanic uh, or Alistair Crowley esque kind of uh, rituals, then you might want to take time and how you're going to kind of divulge that to the rest of the kids. But okay. I'd say if there's. I think honesty might be the best policy in that instance, but there may, might be a way of explaining it. So maybe being upfront about the incident and explaining the circle of life as Mufasa would to Simba and that the fox didn't kill those chickens out of malice, mm-hmm. but literally to its own family. Or maybe maybe sought out the chickens for consultation on how to feed said family and now that chicken is involved in a long-term conference with those foxes in terms of how to increase their nutrition. Show him fantastic Mr. Fox. That's pretty much was, explanatory, isn't it? I was just thinking that maybe we should just read Fantastic Mr. Fox again. Yeah, He's the, a little old for Fantastic Mr. Fox now. But the film's great. We'll, the film's great. Maybe we'll watch the film again. And go, yeah, watch the film. Yeah. You can understand that. But, uh, yeah. Away from chicken uh, lies. Yes, sorry. Yeah, Generally chicken. honesty. Yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you find yourself... I, I think in my life, I was I told someone this the other day, uh, unrelatedly, about how you know, as a producer, you know, in 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 television and beyond, you're you're kind of. I think a lot of the job basically is to is to get people, everyone involved, to do the thing that we're trying to do, and mm. and be really you know kind of honest with people as much as you can be, so that everyone feels like they're you know that they've, they've contributed what they want to contribute to a thing. It's kind of a weird job producing, but I do think there's a bit of an honesty element in it because definitely I think producers can be dishonest, uh, but as 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 many documentaries about on Channel Four could probably um, illustrate at the moment, and um, and and I I pride myself on that honesty, but like. It's not what everyone does, is it? <laughs> no, I think uh, I'm probably I'm probably too honest, or talk too much would be another way of putting it. <laughs> I I am more likely to look back on a social interaction and think I shouldn't have told them that. <laughs> I, I shouldn't have been honest about that. I shouldn't have said that thing about that person. I didn't realize that person was as close to that person I was talking about. I shouldn't have been quite so upfront about how much I hated our mutual acquaintance there. That you know that kind of. I think yeah. In that in that regard, I, I think I, I I think I have a surfeit, and I'm I'm long on honesty. <laughs> I mean, you you're an honest guy, ain't you, Dane? Blimey! Like I've, I, um, I, after 150 episodes, I can make that statement honestly. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm pretty honest about. Uh, feelings, but I, I guess I tend to. As it's guess, I guess it's where you direct your honesty. So I just try to be very honest about my own feelings and my own disposition. 
And I guess hopefully leading by example, you, you kind of evoke that same honesty from other people. Um, although, like Ed, I do have the tendency to be uh, very transparent about how I might feel about somebody else, which mm. can lead to some situations of awkwardness. But then at the same time, I feel like when I compare the awkwardness of trying to internalize a, a dislike I might have for somebody versus the awkwardness that comes up when I'm upfront about my feelings towards that person, even if we have a mutual friend. And I feel like the latter is less painful than the former. Hmm. I'd rather someone be like, well, they said something very rude about me. I don't want to talk to him. Then have to be in a room and force conversation with somebody who I don't like. So I think I'd rather be honest in that sense. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I think where I mean, I'm probably I mean, the, more, yeah, the question is, where, where do you draw the line? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Where do you draw the line? And in, in, the case of, in the case of honesty, I'd probably draw the line if I don't, if I think the truth is going to be traumatic for the person or if that person may not have the necessary coping mechanisms to deal with it. But then even then it's like if they, because they may need to hear it anyway, even if it is going to be um, detrimental to their self-esteem or their self-image, but if long-term that's going to benefit them or going to be the catalyst for them to maybe change a part of their lives, then it might be good to be honest. But I think, yeah, normally when I'm being honest, when I'm not being, when I'm being disingenuous is normally if it's about maybe being particularly cutting about somebody, especially uh, when it comes to like, uh, or if someone asked me if a particular comedian was funny or somebody was talented in art, because I know the subjectivity or the subjective nature of it. I might be like, it's not good for me if I'm honest. It's not what I'm into. But I was wondering, I guess, it's, I, I guess as a comic and just in general, I try to make more observations than condemnations. And I think there's a difference. Mm. So I might have to say something, say something to somebody like, that's not, I don't like that song or I don't like that particular set, but that's not like the entirety of my perception about them. So and I think, you can be honest in that respect. So I guess that's healthy. I, that's healthy. I pad out, out, out my honesty. Yeah, yeah. What do people call it? It's like, it's like a shit sandwich, right? Yeah, so you yeah, do yeah. positive mm. at first, mm. then you might have the critique in the middle yeah. and then you finish on positive as well. So yeah. at least they, you know, have like a nice appetizer and then at least a palate cleanser mm. if they have to take some food for thought they don't necessarily like. I feel the one that is the most awkward bit of honesty to give, one of, one of the most awkward bits of honesty to give, is when I might be sitting around with uh, a group of friends or, or family, in-laws, my own, whatever, and someone says something in a space that is political and my take on that is that you're talking 
bollocks and have no concept of reality of re, of reality because because ultimately you know most of us have privileged lives that you know a lot so many of us have privileged lives that the reality is not really clear to us all the time so you, so you you know particularly if you live in another country or something and so that just to have have that moment where i'm just like i'm just not going to say anything here because i just can't bear to get into this mm. and be honest to you about how i think your opinions are nonsense well, sometimes as well, it's that thing of it's the balance between honesty and politeness. And and a lot of time you'll get people who say things like, yeah, well, think about me. Think about me. You know, where, you know where you stand with me. I'll tell you. And you kind of go, you mean you're rude. That's <laughs> yeah. what you're trying to <laughs> you're, say. You're to rude and insecure and you, yeah. pre, and you preempt any critiques of yourself by being outwardly obnoxious is what people normally mean. Like in the same way when people say I'm entitled to my opinion, they mean my ego is too fragile to be told that I might be wrong about something <laughs> or for anyone to have a rebuttal to what I might say. Hmm. So I, I, Jeff Green had a great line that I, it was one of my favorite lines and it was about the difference between uh, Americans and, and British people. And it was like, I'd rather be told to have a nice day by someone who doesn't mean it than be told to fuck off by someone who does. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that, that's yeah. pretty good isn't yeah it? and i think that's and because most human beings can pick up on the subtext between those things anyway mm. so i think i think yeah I, I think it's it's good to be honest but may, but mainly especially because of, but mainly the main honesty howard i think mm. is and it's important i try to be honest is mainly with myself yeah. and so that can mean that rather than me maybe giving a false positive to somebody or positively reinforcing something i don't necessarily agree with um I would rather have the conversation with myself and ask myself why I feel that way about it. And that makes everything much easier. So in the previous question, when we talk about drawing the line, when I have maybe expressed some kind of misgivings about any kind of social change or modification to society, I have to have the own conversation about why does this actually bother you? Mm-hmm. And normally when I go down that route of looking as to what insecurities or preconceptions I have, which make me take maybe an adverse um, position on something like social change or like gender politics, I'd be like, is it because you're, you are intimidated and insecure about something? And normally, once I find the honest answer with myself and had that conversation with myself, it makes it so much easier to deal with other people. And I think that's normally what it comes down to is the singularity of most people when they consider the line or they consider honesty. It's more about how that honesty reflects on themselves. Mm. So when people are honest about something they don't like or they're in a social or familial situation, they might be adverse to honesty because they, they don't want to be perceived as the person that critiques their own family because most of us are under the supposition that charity begins at home and if you can't observe intimacy in this close relationship, you're going to struggle outside of it. Um, I find it interesting as well, you might have that scenario where, where you're talking to someone and they've got a problem, right? And you start then to give them your honest opinion about it and then basically what happens from time to time is that you'll sound really judgmental, uh, yeah. particularly, if, but I'll, I'll give you an easy one. If someone's having trouble finding uh, someone to date or, or wants to find a, wants to find a, a partner to marry and have kids with. And they're like, they can't do it. And then you start offering them opinions and it's like, well, you, I'm married. And it's like, Oh, oh I just, the, you'd rather in some ways easy just not to get involved. Yeah, I mean, especially it depends when 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 it's very obvious tip like you know you should really brush your teeth. <laughs> your <laughs> breath really well. It is it's one of those things, yeah. isn't it? Where like if you see somebody you don't know particularly well and they've got something in their teeth, do you tell them? Do you tell somebody yeah. else to tell them? You know, it's it's because it, sometimes people just don't. A classic thing with comedians would be say you see a comedian doing a joke and you've heard it before and you know somebody else does the joke first oh. and you're going. And you don't know the comedian well enough to say yeah. to them, 
you know that you know that's actually a a, a Michael McIntyre. That's a Bill Hicks joke, or that's a you know you don't need, do you say it to them because then they might think, oh, are you accusing me of being a thief? And it's like, no, I, I'm not. If I thought you were a thief, I wouldn't be saying that to you. You know what I mean? Or do you say it to somebody else who knows them better? Go, isn't that jokes? You you, yeah. you 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 have a tendency. If you don't want confrontra- confront confrontation, yeah. but you still want somebody to know something it's uh yeah and, and also it's and it's a reflection of yourself you you wouldn't want to be plagiarizing yourself and nobody tell you and no because, i would yeah, want you, someone you to tell, someone me tell you yeah you do you want the, the emperor's would... emperor's new clothes kind of thing and that's that's probably made honesty so much more difficulty is that we live in a world that's so much guided by populism and um people's and being self-referential in terms of like valuing your own feelings over everybody else's and valuing your own peace. And there's a lot of um, toxic positivity that has made it even more difficult for people to be very honest, especially because when we have what appear to be very overt and honest conversations on social media, and, and I guess the purest form of democratic conversation we've had as a uh, society, the problem is that you can be relaying that to a uh, a projection of somebody rather than who they really are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people might project themselves to be outwardly confident, whether it's them, they're sexually confident or positive. And you might make a commentary on that, like maybe telling them to be careful, not knowing that this person is just trying to project the form of self, mm-hmm. how they want them to be perceived. So it can be very difficult unless people are being honest, both with themselves and with you, for that to even be, for honesty to be exchanged effectively in the first place. So which is why I say, like, I would rather... I do try to be very honest, but I, I guess I try to be very honest with myself a lot of the time. And that might not happen immediately, but over time, I don't think with reassessing my actions, at some point I have to admit, um, like if I'm doing something wrong or mm. too old for something in particular, or that was a mistake. Because I feel like by doing those things, it makes me a lot more willing to speak to somebody else about their shortcomings. Because what tends to happen is, especially when, you do reference a particular a person's, as Howard said, if you're honest about someone's maybe a pattern of behavior or something you've seen, people tend to see that as an attack on themselves rather than the actions. Of course. And I remember hearing a very good quote in a book where the uh, guy says, I prosecute the crime, not the criminal. And hmm. I feel like a lot of time people take it as a condemnation of themselves, which is why people become so defensive if you do, they do ask you for advice and the advice appears to be in contradiction to who they are. Well, thank you guys uh, for being honest uh, and taking on that question and um, lots of honesty there. But Dane, over to you, mate, for the final question of today's show. Well, I think um, the the first question has been so good that it's just become a very great existential conversation that kind of always brings us back to the whole thing. And um, I just want to continue with that trend. It's been such a good question, Ed. Um, Thank you. And I want to say in terms of the line... Um, as I said, when I, when I consider the line, I guess the line is normally determined by uh, government policy as well as um, I suppose theological norms and etiquette. And I say that because on a daily basis, we're seeing more the line becoming more and more blurred from the people that normally determine where the line is uh, en masse. So I'm talking about the government, for example, and at time of recording, we've had... Uh, some of the most senior positions within our government being fined by the police for flouting laws that they themselves created during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned it a few times on this podcast where we've said we've gotten to the point now where satire and satirists must be really struggling 
to find a way of parodying what they see now because even the the actions now are outpacing the caricatures of said government. So um, I wanted to ask you is, you know, with your illustrious experience on mm-hmm. satirical shows such as uh, Have I Got News For You and QI and Mock The Week, um, do you see a line for this government? <laughs> no. No, I, I, I think it's, they have uh, repeatedly breached the ministerial code, which used to be a resigning matter. Um, things that people used to resign over, they just don't. And I think going back to the question of honesty as well, I, I know this sounds ridiculous and shallow, but I, I think an excellent way of showing how far we've come in, a, in, a, in, the, in the wrong direction is if you go back and watch a political drama, even from five years ago or longer, it, the, the sense of jeopardy that you get in political dramas like uh, Homeland, West Wing, uh, Designated Survivor, any of these things where you've got a presidential or a, or, a, or a ministerial sort of setting, they're always worried about, oh, the press is going to get hold of this. Oh, we've messed up all oh, this. The optics of this look really bad. And you watch it now and you go, today, they just wouldn't give a shit. They would just yeah. turn around and say, no, that didn't happen. But it did. Look, well, now, the, well, now you the can facts say fake are news. there. You can literally say. You literally just say. You can say, yeah. ah, the, new, the news is fake. <laughs> yeah. You just go, no, that didn't happen. And you go, look, here's the proof. We've seen that you've done this. No, no, as far as we know, all rules were followed. <laughs> but, they, but they were. No, no, they were. And it's just, it's just the shaggy wasn't me uh, yeah. re- re- response is, is, is that's all you need. Yeah. And it's, and I, I mean, they do say everybody feels this at some point in your life. You go, oh, these these politicians are the worst there's ever been. I I have always, when I was younger, just thought, even if you have differences of opinion politically, I'm sure these people are just doing their best. <laughs> and it's I have really finally, at the, just before the age of 50, come to the point. No, they're genuinely not. They're genuinely fucking useless. I've never been so disillusioned by politicians as I am now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a point in time, I mean, even, and it comes up quite a lot, I guess, when people discuss the uh, satire in politics, even with the the, the Black Mirror episode of uh, a minister having sex with a pig, only for a picture with the prime minister with a pig (laughs) to kind of leak out. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's really, it's, I think it's the same amongst most people is that like the strangest story you could concoct about a diplomat or a member of, you know, a bipartisan Western government seems to be happening right before our very eyes. And yeah. Was there there a straw that broke the camel's back for you uh, outside of the pandemic or? Has it been in more recent times where you've been like, this is just beyond? Oh, I mean, I, I think when Boris Johnson was, when when the, the Conservatives won the election with such a majority, despite Boris Johnson's track record on both ability and lack of honesty, that people just went, nope, he's still the guy for me. That's when I just like, I was, I, I just give up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 I've kind of reached a point where I'm like, what happens to the country, particularly what happens to the to the to the working class in this country, yeah. is something that, to a great extent, they 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 brought on themselves. Just people just kind of going, well, we wanted this, we wanted this to happen, and it annoyed liberals, and that's all that matters to me. And you're just kind of like, well, yeah. fine, you know what, you're getting screwed harder than I am, so go ahead. Yeah. 
You know, I, I've kind of become not just disillusioned with with those in power, but I've become quite disillusioned with the people who put them there. I've become disillusioned yeah. with the electorate. It, it looks like the the, uh, the electorate is so uh, divided. The schism is to the point where, you know, people on the right will, as you said, set themselves on fire in order to asphyxiate the liberal left with the smoke. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's... And maybe that's, maybe that's the, the, one of the reasons why satire might suffer is because of the fact that the normal audience for satire seem to be part of the joke as well. Because normally you'd be able to show the inadequacies and the incompetencies of your government. But at a time where those incompetencies are probably more transparent than they've ever been, people seem to be more desensitized to it than they've ever been. Well, I think it was, and it's, it's like you were saying, it's, they, they reach, we've reached a level where dishonesty is so baked in that pointing it out just makes you look like an asshole. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it, there is that thing. And, and we had it in Ireland for a long time as well. In Ireland, they call it the cute whore syndrome, which is that idea of a cute whore is a, a bit, somebody who's a bit sly and a bit, you know, a bit, and, and you, it, it's expected. And yeah. then when it happens and you point it out, people are like, yeah, well, what did you think? And people have this thing of, you do the same if you were in that position. That's a really, that's such a low aiming opinion to have, yeah. to just assume that, you know, that even that little bit of power will corrupt you completely. And I, I just, I feel like if you are honest in, in politics, in politics, then it's, you're, you're the idiot. That seems yeah, to be as, the attitude. As, as Jeremy Corbyn has proven when they were like, can you deny you said this? I didn't say this. You're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think as we've talked about a few times, Dane, on this show, <clears throat> Ed, I, Ed, I'm of the opinion that we're kind of creaking towards a significant change in, in, in society. We, we might be very old by the time it happens. Uh, but in, in, in these coming decades, I do think you're going to see some shifts towards something uh, that I think will, will, will break through some of these problems that we're facing at the moment, which is kind of... A- I, just, I just want to add as well, Howard, that I, while I do agree with Howard, that may have been the timeline for any kind of political change to the bipartisan spectrum. However with the climatological issues yeah. that we're dealing with, I'm not sure if we will have decades, plural. However. Well, I, I, I think that's <laughs> going to influence things. I think that's yeah. going to influence things. Uh, I think I think that, 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 that as, as the scale of it becomes clearer, I, I and, and this is obviously me trying to be optimistic in some respects, because that means you have to have faith in humanity. And, and as Ed says, it takes 10 minutes to look at any, any, anything to think there's not many reasons to have a lot of faith in humanity. But I think these future generations that are coming through, whilst there are things about their influencer, social media, bullshit culture that we, that we like to make fun of, I do think there is an awakeness, not wokeness, but an awakeness to some of, of them that may mean we can evolve some of these thought processes that are going on that feel very, very... Just, just, just not relevant anymore. Uh, and, and, and when you look at what goes on with the, the Tories at the moment, in my opinion, it's just, it's just the desperate clinging on to the to the embers of something that used to work. And and the reality is, what what they pride themselves on just doesn't work anymore, does it? Really? Well, here, I mean, we're not as bad as they are in the states. It has to be said. Yeah. But we are going that way. We 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 always just feel like we're just a few years behind them in that. Being in power is all there is. It's all that matters. The The actual governance and getting things done is absolutely secondary to simply being in power and making sure the other guy doesn't get a win. Mm. But I mean, they're de- and the, the, the partisan nature of politics here is bad enough. In the States, it's even worse. I, I think the most 
depressing thought is that if Watergate happened today, Nixon would have survived. Right. Oh, easily. Nixon would still have been in power easily. no matter what. Because his the, the party just wouldn't have allowed him to be impeached. They would have, it doesn't matter what the evidence would be. Everybody would just go, no, but let's 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 hang on to him because he's our guy. But, but, and which is an interesting point because I think at that point America probably reached a uh, critical mass in terms of people being able to tolerate the existence of politics at the time because there was also around because maybe ten years prior a lot of Americans asserted that the fifties were the happiest time for Americans. Mm-hmm. But I think if you had spoken to particular groups of Americans from particular sections of society, they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been able to concur with that idea. And I think maybe we're seeing something similar now where we're at a point where it may not be under the normal classical conditions of us openly seeing injustice and political intrigue as the catalyst for social change and for like impeachment in Nixon's case, because now I guess the same kind of people who are prone to the same corruption have been able to refine their methods. So there was a time where the media were obligated to reveal such kind of scandals, such as the Watergate scandal, whereas now the powers that be have learned that you get into bed with certain media corporations and you're, you lobby on their behalf. That means that certain uh, stories won't uh, appear negatively. So, for example, yeah. the uh, whistleblowing of uh, Julian Assange would have been, and in the 60s and 70s, would have had, you would have think it would have had like Bastille level ramifications for Western powers. Mm-hmm. Whereas today it's like, we've almost forgotten mm-hmm. like the, what led to the first, what, how WikiLeaks kind of worked in the same way that we've had like the Panama Papers mm-hmm. and we've had revelations. And, you know, after all of us are enjoying some experiencing, having to endure some of the worst economic times of recorded history we know that the powers that be are not paying their taxes and filing taxes offshore and engaged in corruption. The journalist that uncovers this is killed in Malta and everyone continues to go about their day complaining about who gets to fight over these crumbs, ourselves versus asylum seekers versus refugees versus migrant workers. And yeah, we've just become massively desensitized to it. So, I mean, obviously it's, it's just, yeah, normally that's something you can make fun of because you'd like, how much worse can this possibly get? But you know, if we're at the point now where your own prime minister is fined as a result of him flouting the protocols he himself came up with. Yeah, but it, and that's but the extent to which people will then just throw themselves. I made a joke on Twitter about it. I just did a little joke about, you know, being chased for unpaid taxes and saying, I, I earned that money two years ago. It's time to move on. And... <laughs> And the amount of people who will just throw themselves under a bus for these guys, the amount of people defending them. Oh, you tell me no politicians ever had a speeding fine. It's like it's not. It's not about that. It's it's about it's about lying about us. It's about the covering the covering up. You know, because people saying, "Oh, it was two years ago." Edwina Curry's full of it was two years ago. Okay, but he only lied about us three months ago. Two months ago, you know. So, can Hang we? Can if we you least... killed someone, if you killed someone two years ago, I think yeah. you still get in trouble for it now, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there, and also, it's, it's totally. I, but it's, I, the, I, it's the extent that people who Boris Johnson wouldn't piss on if they were on fire, yeah, just defending them. That it's that it that it feels like that's a serfdom of just. But he's our guy. But it, I, maybe 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 that's how it works. Is that when you have um, figures like um, Boris Johnson who are in positions whereby they can technically bring the line down themselves. And for people that have had to 
contextualize their conduct and behavior in terms of navigating the line as best as possible. When you have someone that will openly flout the line, sometimes people enjoy that in the same way that like in school, there's a kid that everybody watches eat dirt and worms. <laughs> you don't necessarily want to do it. Be like, well, if he's going to eat dirt and worms, like me not doing my homework kind of pales in comparison. <laughs> and maybe this is the idea. And this is how, and this is the other part of populism that people don't understand is that like having people populists like Donald Trump or Boris Johnson who compare, appear very inept at their jobs when we think about the industrial hierarchy we have in society, whereby we expect people in certain levels of office and in certain positions to observe certain behaviors. And almost by them observing these behaviors, we can see that we can't be those people because we're not in those circles and we can kind of project onto them and we can maybe try to emulate a certain level of their behavior um, because of the example they set. But then if you have a prime minister who hides in fridges to avoid questions, well, then if you are, you know, somebody who installs fridges and you're late for a job, you have now been ratified to not have to work to a competent level because the leader of your country, by their own example, has lowered the bar so significantly that you don't know, you don't necessarily have to be a good person. It's like, I think, you know, it's a part of if you if if people are not actively if people benefit from the line mm-hmm. and they don't actively they don't actively have to necessarily examine their own behavior or take accountability for it, it's much easier for some people to kind of give that power over. I think there's also the thing about, I think some people, the the injustice that a lot of us rail against is the idea of a two-tier society. The idea of, well, they'll get away with this and we can't. And whether it's people in power or people who are just incredibly rich, that idea that if you're rich, you can buy your way out of jail. You can buy, you can get the best lawyers. You can get off with it. If you're, if you're really rich, you, you maintain that level because you also find a way to get around having to pay your taxes, all that kind of thing. Some of us find that incredibly unjust. Other people accept it. They go, well, yeah. of course they do. And, and some people, I think, they think, well, they are better than us. But I think other people entertain the idea that they think they maybe could make it into that second tier. I think, I think that's most of the part of it as well. That you know? Most people... They propagate a system which they believe that one day they'll be able to benefit from it. In the same yeah. way, a lot of people turn a blind eye to police brutality, police corruption, because they think it benefits them until they are forced to confront that ineptitude and that corruption But do you think themselves. it's maybe that people who rail against, if they, think, if they start sticking up for, say, the lower tier, that it's an admission of defeat? It's like, well, I start sticking up for the lower tier, the tier that I am actually in, is that an admission of defeat that I'm never going to make it into the second tier? And is that um, why people don't want to do it? I'm just, I think it's part of it. And I think, I think a large part of it is the fact that most people are um, the, the strongest uh, conditioning and suggestion that people receive in this, in this part of the world is capitalist um, doctrine, which leads them to believe that, you know, by having money or by capital gain, they can kind of transcend their situation. Like you said, then the commodities of like morality and um, responsibility can be bought and sold and traded at the behest of whoever has money. And I think most people, they aspire to have that same kind of freedom. And so they allow that system to perpetuate in the end because they believe it can be them one day. And so, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's an amazing subject to talk about. And I just want to add one thing, which is just to say to the, the, the Tory MP, Michael Fabricant, I think you're a complete prick. Uh, and that uh, you're welcome on the show anytime to talk about <laughs> how much of a bell end you are. Um, uh, and, and, and on that note, Dane, what an episode yeah. it's been uh, today. Yeah. Uh, real that's, joy. That's, that's where satire is now, Howard. <laughs> <Yeah>. Great. <laughs>
And it's a bell end. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. It's a, a bell end. We'll take that. Out. Um, but, you know, a great episode and, uh, yeah, an amazing uh, question which led on to others. Thank you very much, Mr. Ed Byrne, Thank for you. coming on the show. Please, could you tell our listeners where they can find out more or where they can even catch you on tour, which is uh, best tour I, today? I mean, at this stage, the, 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 the tour dates have become further and further apart as they've all been rescheduled and rescheduled and rescheduled. But I've, been, I've got about 30 more dates between now and July and, and they'll be on edburn.com. Perfect. And, uh, if you can, if you can buy the tickets directly from the venue, if that's a possibility, right. that's my that's my suggestion. And if you can't get them from the venue, then go to sites such as Ticketmaster. That's just just a tip. Yeah, nice life, life life hack for yeah. you there. Yeah, life hack for you guys. Give yourselves a go and definitely check out Ad Burn uh, as we one of the best tours today. And um, yeah, very safe to say. British comedy royalty and we are very humbled and flattered <laughs> to have you on the show that. thank you very much cheers Dan. you've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything hosted by Dane Baptiste for more from Dane go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste our guest was Ed Bird. You can follow Ed on Twitter at Mr. Ed Byrne. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember. Question everything. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.